0: Welcome to the Paper Lantern Podcast. My name is Derek Wong, and I'm your host. On each episode, we'll feature stories, career advice, and perspectives from relatable role models. These guests are creators, entrepreneurs, and professionals from across all industries and backgrounds hailing from all over the world. Through our in-depth conversations, we hope to shed some light on their beliefs, values, and perspectives that might help you along your own journey. And while these folks might not be best-selling authors, world-class athletes, or famous CEOs, at least not yet, these are outstanding individuals who are crushing it in their careers or are doing big things in their community. But most of all, their backgrounds and the challenges they've faced are relatable to the ones that you and I might be facing, and they want to help by sharing their stories and experiences with our listeners. The Paper Lantern is equal parts inspiration, paying it forward, and hopefully some laughs along the way. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope that you enjoy the show. I'm here with Brian Kim, our first guest on this very first episode of this brand new podcast. Brian is one of my really good friends that I met out in L.A. about two to three years ago. Uh, He's a gentleman that works in the finance industry, but has a really cool story that takes him from all sorts of different cities in the United States, whether it's Chicago, Michigan, uh, Los Angeles, and now in Washington, D.C., but he also has an entrepreneurial bent as well. So Brian, do you want to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your journey?
1: Hey Derek, thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, happy to. Um, So I I guess I'll just kind of start from the beginning and you can kind of tell me when to stop. (laughs) Sure, sounds fair. Um, Yeah, so I I grew up in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, Midwest guy. Um, My parents came over in the 70s, I believe, My dad's a pastor. Uh, My mom kind of worked odd jobs here and there. Um, Pretty rough beginnings for us, but um, by the time I was in high school, I think uh, things were kind of normal and we were in a better neighborhood. Um, Growing up, I was, you know, kind of the typical Asian kid. I liked cartoons, I liked uh, playing a lot of different sports, I liked playing music. I think in high school, I was, you know, I was, I was definitely a good student. You know, I was part of uh, the student government there. I was part of the orchestra, things like that. Um, and then I, I went to the University of Michigan for undergrad, uh, studied business there, which kind of um, led me to the finance career path that I'm on now. Um, and then after that, my first city that I went to was Chicago. Uh, did a couple years there before going to L.A. where I met you, Derek. Um, best two years of my life. <laughs> good times, good times. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I went to business school at Chicago Booth for, for two years. Uh, now I'm in uh, Washington, D.C. Yeah,
0: and I know you've shared with me before, you know, separate conversations that you work now in private equity. Uh, could you explain a little bit for our listeners, you know, what is private equity and you know, what do you do for your day job?
1: Yeah, so... Um, so I, I'm part of the investment team at um, at a private equity firm here in D.C. And so P.E. is, is basically and this is going to sound really dumb, but it's at, at its core, just private investing versus, you know, public investing, which could be like buying stocks and things like that in public companies. So our goal in private equity is basically, you know, find companies to invest in and help them. Become a better company, help them grow, and then sell it to a different buyer, and so we would make a profit on our on our investment. That that's kind of what it is in a nutshell. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I know that you started in banking, which is known as one of the most rigorous and toughest industries to one break into, and to be in it as well. is uh, it a lot better now working in private equity compared to your banking days? You want to talk a little bit about that too?
1: Yeah, it's. Uh... It's, it's, so it's it's hard to compare because um, I think the role that I did in banking as an analyst straight out of college, uh, you know, it, it's hard to compare to my role now, um, but, but in general, yes, I mean, I think it's no secret that banking is an extremely um, difficult, unpredictable lifestyle, um, lots of long hours, lots of pressure, um, you know, very competitive to get into, but but I think I honestly think that that trend is starting to change, based on um, what I saw recruiting-wise in business school, but also just talking to friends. Um, banking is not as popular as it once was.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of the uh, typical at Wall Street roles are now moving over to Silicon Valley. Maybe that's it's right. The food, it's the, the stock options. And Go all the work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Come over to the West Coast. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for sharing a little bit about that. And for every time we do this podcast, I'd love to have a little bit of a lightning round, some fun questions to get to know you a little bit better. So we'll jump into that with a few you know quicker questions. But uh, what is your what was your first job? Was it in high school? Was it in college? What was your first job and what did you do?
1: <laughs> my first job was in high school. Uh, it was my senior summer. I worked, yeah, senior summer. I worked um, at a cherry factory Called Great Lakes Packing Company. It's up oh. in Wayne, Michigan. It was by far the hardest job I will ever have. Um, I basically worked on the line, um, doing various roles in the cherry factory, and it was fourteen-hour shifts, night shift. So it was a it was a horrible job, but honestly, it 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 was extremely rewarding and taught me a lot of a lot of lessons about life. Yeah, I imagine. Were there any uh, unexpected
0: perks? Did you get free cherries or were there any uh, fun perks (laughs) around the factory line or not too much?
1: Well, I I think so. The quick backstory on that is basically I couldn't find a job around uh, my home in Grand Rapids uh, for that summer. And so uh, one of my good friends from high school um, had a uh, like a summer cabin up in uh, northern Michigan. So uh, I got to stay there um, and and stay there for the summer while I worked that job, and so the, the real perk was nothing at the job, it was the, the, the chance that I got to, like, stay at a really nice place and kind of enjoy, there was a little lake right next to where the cabin was, so I got um, to hang out that, that summer there and just enjoy that, like, once a week. <laughs>
0: Quick editor's note right here, at this point in the conversation, my Wi-Fi went down for about one minute. So I remember making what I thought was a pretty funny comment about how Brian stayed at a small lake. That was definitely not a great lake, but it went really, really awkwardly quiet for a few moments and then I realized the Wi-Fi went down. But I just wanted to share that with y'all, but we'll go ahead and keep going with our conversation. Awesome, thanks Brian for sharing about your experience at the Cherry Factory and enjoying one of Michigan's many awesome lakes. As our second question, uh did you have a favorite superhero or fictional character as a kid and uh why did you choose that character?
1: Yeah, definitely it was uh <laughs> it was Batman and oh. it's I mean Batman was my favorite I just I I grew up watching that show. I had Batman action figures um and I don't know what drew me to him originally, but I just remember growing up and really liking Liking, you know, the show and the story. So, that was my favorite superhero. Mm-hmm.
0: Very cool, very cool. And what about role models? I guess taking a more serious note, were there any, you know, formative coaches or teachers that you had, or any figures in your life that were role models, or you know, just folks that you looked up to?
1: Mm. You know, I don't have. I didn't have any, um, like, business role models that I looked up to I wasn't really keeping track of that at that time I'd say I'd say uh, well well okay I'll say um I watched a lot of tennis growing up and right when I was growing up and around high school I think Raphael Nadal was was becoming big so he he's always been a role model of mine um I'll say I'll also say my my parents are also my role models as well because they obviously have sacrificed a lot for me so um i would say my parents and nadal oh a good still relevant
0: to this day role models that continue to be excellent uh, (laughs) figures in our lives very cool uh what what were some notable obstacles dilemmas or really big life decisions
1: you had to make beforehand yeah i think a big when i look back i think a big um pivot, I think. So when I started at uh, the University of Michigan, um, their liberal arts program, I was very much on the road towards uh, going down the, the medicine route. Um, and the funny thing about business school at Michigan is that it starts your sophomore year after you apply. So I think there was enough hesitancy with that, with the medicine path for me that I didn't um, end up you know, going going down that road and I wanted to just see what else was out there. So I uh, ended up applying to the business school and then ultimately after, you know, a lot of conversations with with people at the time and on both sides, um, I ended up pursuing the uh, business path, which I think looking back was definitely the right 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 path for me anyway
0: yeah yeah and what did your parents or family think because i remember your brother was pursuing the medical path as well Were they supportive of hey you know in order to do this you have to love it or is it oh you're giving up early what was that sort of a decision
1: like so yeah it it was funny how that worked my so i spoke to my brother quite a bit about this topic and um you know the point he basically made was you know it's a path that if you're not passionate about it, it will, you'll absolutely be unhappy, which is something that I think a lot of people who pursue medicine don't, unfortunately don't know if they'll end up being passionate about it. But um, I knew at the time that I was probably pursuing it for the wrong reasons if I did. Um, and so I think business gave me a lot more optionality in terms of what I potentially could want to pursue or what I thought I would want in a career uh, down the line. Very cool. Very cool.
0: And our last you know, lightning round question is what do you do to recharge or to have fun? What do you do, you know, when it's off work to, you know, get your mind off of, you know, the day-to-day, the grind? What do you like to do?
1: Yeah, I, this, I think this has changed, changed over time. Um, well, was like in LA, I think there's so much to do. Like, I love going hiking, um, love playing tennis. Um, I love watching movies um now i i I think i enjoy uh well i recently started doing crosswords i don't know if you knew that derek crosswords Um, wow (laughs) very cool yeah new york times crosswords it's a lot of fun um i i honestly just enjoy uh reading um i read a lot more since i've been in dc and that's always been something that i've wanted to do more of before but just you know either lazy or just couldn't find the time to but I read for pleasure here um, and yeah I think just spending time with friends um, whatever we're doing whether it's getting food or, or going to an event um, that's that's kind of my how I recharge yeah
0: yeah, and I, I still remember one of the things that also brought us together when we were in LA is despite all the crazy work that we were doing we would still make time to occasionally you know get angry at 13 year olds while playing League of Legends or you know go to Korea <laughs> town and you know, right. you know be inspired by the the local restaurants and uh, local talent there but good times <laughs> good times <laughs> I I
1: recently retold the uh, the Charlie story
0: oh Charlie yes yes Charlie the little little Maltese puppy that we borrowed borrowed uh, we were puppy sitters I would say for a day. Yeah. It did not did not work to our full advantage, uh, meeting new new people, but it was quite fun, quite fun. Yeah. Huh. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, with the rest of this time I love you, you know, spend a little more time to go deeper into some of the topics to, you know, ask some more questions about your professional career and some of the changes that you've made throughout your life. Uh, we can start first with Your career in finance going from the different internships you had to you know choosing banking as a profession and then the different lateral moves going back to school. I would love if you could share more about your career journey and the big lessons that you've had through those.
1: Yeah happy to. Um, I'm happy to start uh, at the beginning if you want or if you have specific specific questions I'm happy to do that as well.
0: Yeah why don't we start with like the the time frame between your, your last year of college, or when you're you know, nailing down the last internship, or that full time job, right around then, I think, when you're making those decisions that actually stick, the decisions that you know should you know put you down a certain path, and a lot of thought goes into that. So, kind of, how did you get to choosing your full time and those last internships?
1: Yeah. So, oh man, um, I remember my junior year. Um, so. You know, I think most undergrad business schools, junior year is a really big year because you you have to lock down the internship uh, for that summer and which hopefully will ultimately lead to your full time job right out of college. So um, for me, it was uh, I, you know, I I did not have the resume that a lot of students had at that point, which was looking back, just crazy thing that people were able to do internships with name brand banks, firms. their sophomore summer uh, before, so you know, a lot of a lot of people had a lot stronger resumes than me. Um, you know, I basically I, I basically had you know the cherry factory experience, which I re- which I talked about earlier as the the main thing on my resume. Um, but but what so and I didn't know if I wanted to go down the consulting route, the banking route, accounting, corporate finance. So I I pursued everything. Um, and I think I was drawn more towards banking uh, versus anything else because it was, you know, pretty quantitative, um, pretty, you know, uh, it, it was it was a top it was an area you could prepare for because um, the material was all out there, um, and so you just kind of had to, you know, do your best with getting your name networking. But the um, the technical side, I think, I was pretty okay with. So. Um, that's what happened, and I ended up getting, uh, and I remember this because, you know, Justin Wu, who who was a, I believe he was a VP at the time when he recruited me up for um, for the internship. Uh, he, he, one, I, I was able to get an inter- interview with Citi uh, in Chicago, which is where I ended up full-time, but um, Justin called me before my final round interview there and just kind of gave me advice on... You know what to look out for how to prepare you know be calm and this was a guy that uh you know didn't know me i had no connection to he just i think he just wanted to help someone that he you know saw a little bit of himself in and so um if it wasn't for that i think um i wouldn't have been on kind of the banking path because city was probably one of the last interviews that i had um and so I ended up going and doing well in the final round um with his help and, and ended up you know getting the full time offer and, and doing my analyst years there so wow. that's how I started off in banking wow.
0: and I'm sure there's a lot of you know a lot of folks uh university students folks interested in business that have you know, been really interested in breaking into banking but they know it's a really really tough industry to break into but you know could you share more about hey what did Justin share with you was it you know this is the structure of the case or is it hey you know at city we really look for showing these particular values is there anything any insights that you can share with our listeners about how they can improve their odds of you know standing out and potentially landing a really big i banking internship or full time
1: yeah You know, I think, I think what I remember is is basically just it. It was less of what he said, but more the fact that he was taking the time. So, you know, he he told me to you know be myself. Like I, I knew my technicals. um, I knew my story. Um, He helped me rejigger some of the reasons why you know I would my story of why I want to go into banking, things like that, some little tweaks. But, but overall, it was more of the, the fact that he was um, taking the time to do this, where that's why I, I got more confidence, I think, on interview day. Um, yeah. It was just someone, was, someone saw something in me and, and decided to take you know, time out of his busy schedule to, to mentor me, and I thought that was, um, I don't know, that gave me a lot of confidence.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing. I imagine at that level of you know competitive rigor, where at, at banks, you know, they have so many super sharp folks that are making it past you know the first round phone screens, the on-campus interviews, potentially a second round, and everybody more or less can do the job. You know, they're all sharp. All these kids are all hardworking. A yeah. lining up out the door to work a hundred hour weeks. So it's a matter of, I think like that confidence that, you know, that emotional factor and how you feel about yourself, I think really, really comes into play at that highest level. And it's fascinating that, you know, somebody who really saw that same spark or, you know, that same humble background, or maybe a cultural tie that someone vouched for you. And I think that's incredibly important, both, you know, as an intern, aspiring you know, business person, and even now to a full-time
1: So yeah, I mean it, it's so true. There's so so many people, especially out of undergrad, are qualified to do the. They're smart enough to do the job. It's mm-hmm. the job. The analyst role in investment banking is, you know, I think the joke in the industry is we're all just <laughs> a bunch of monkeys because you you know you just sit in front of a computer and crank out a lot of PowerPoint pages and a lot of models, which it just takes a little bit of time to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That's kind of, yeah I mean that's that's how I started. I did two years at city uh, in Chicago um, I worked a lot of hours, but I was one of the lucky ones to work with some really good people in my group uh, who kind of took me under their wing and um, I mean I worked hard but i I was really happy to work hard for people that I really respected yeah
0: I people make such a huge difference but i I know some of that has friends that have Followed that same path i know two years and banking is usually that cutoff point uh, i imagine it's partially that's the length of the program as well as there might not be an immediate oh after two years of banking here's the next job what do you do after two years and how did you make that next decision
1: yeah it's kind of crazy how the industry works but basically there is a you know a year into the job there's a recruiting effort that happens on what is called the buy side. So private equity firms or hedge funds um, will go and try to poach analysts or interview analysts for the associate role um, at their firms, which are usually it's basically the analyst role at a, at a private equity firm. Mm-hmm. And so the path that most people, I don't know if it's most people anymore, but a lot of people go down um, is doing two years of investment banking and then two years of some buy side role before. Heading to uh, business school. Um, I think that was kind of the common path, which I think is becoming less and less of what people do nowadays. But um, that was the path that it was just kind of laid out in front of me. People would talk about it, um, and then you know, for me, I think when I was an analyst, in my view of what I wanted to do, uh, I I just knew that um, you know, recruiting for the buy side was something that I would try, not really knowing what what the job was like, why I was doing it, it was just something that everyone did, honestly, um, and looked into and started recruiting for. And so I definitely followed the herd, uh, you know, on this one.
0: Yeah, and that brought you to Los Angeles, right? To the spot in downtown LA?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's what brought me to LA. I had never visited before. Um, I only went for my interview and then, you know, decided to take the leap. Yeah. And what was that experience
0: like moving from the Midwest, moving to the West Coast, somewhere that for the most part you've only been one time? Was that a big adjustment for you? Or is it, hey, you know, you had some friends from the Midwest. How did you make that adjustment? And, you know, what did you like or dislike about moving to another part of the U.S.?
1: Yeah, I was honestly, I was really excited. Um, I think I was really ready to to do something new. Um, I think I'd all I remembered from my two years out of college was the inside of a cubicle. So I was really ready for something new. I was excited for the job. Um, I was excited about Los Angeles everyone told me how great it was out there. Um, and yeah, I was just kind of ready for a new chapter in my life. Uh, so that was great. Um, the transition was honestly, I got used to LA so quickly. Um, everyone complains about the traffic there and everything, but i I was absolutely in love with the weather. Um, I one of my one of my roommates, my first roommate uh, in l a, who I met kind of coincidentally um, through a mutual connection, we just decided to room together someone who I'd never met before. Um, and we, I mean, we we became good friends. Um, and so, there was nothing really that I struggled with making that transition to LA, to be honest. Yeah, when I look back to LA, I think it was a similar time of life where, hey, you have
0: a good roommate, you have good friends, you hang out a lot, you go out a lot, you meet a lot of new people, whether it's through different clubs, whether it's a little bit of dating on the side. I remember LA as a very, very fun, warm, uh, but playful sort of uh, few years there. And I still remember we went to Disneyland for the first time, and yeah. that was taking you to the disneyland for the very very first time that was quite eye-opening huh
1: yeah it was i mean it was amazing obviously la experience was a lot better when i met you you know (laughs) you started hanging out i forget what was that that was like in the first year i think i was there yeah Um, yeah
0: yeah one of our friends had a big like hot pot
1: that's right that's right
0: yeah yeah our friend ben and may they had a big dinner and you know, sure enough, we were the ones that stayed the longest and we're like, Oh, who's this person? And we started talking and I think it was actually mentioning League of Legends and you know, we're like, Oh, this guy's actually a cool guy too. <laughs> we're not just, you know, marketing banker dudes. So hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very cool, very cool. And then one thing, you know, kinda of still talking with like a career lens is for yourself, you know, working in finance, you know, these tough, you know, relatively, you know, intellectually rigorous and very prestigious roles, are there any sort of like challenges or, you know questions you've asked from a cultural identity perspective, any stereotypes you face along the road. I know, you know, Asian Asian uh, Asians are hired at a really really high rate both in, you know, technology roles as well as finance and you know in these large companies, but what was your experience?
1: Yeah, I I mean I definitely saw that like at the analyst role at big banks, you'd see a lot of a lot of Asians um, I would say the same, same in my associate role, uh, in private equity, I've seen that too, but for sure, I think one thing that I noticed, uh, which I don't think is a secret at all, but you know, the, the, the higher ranks of this industry, um, you just don't see a lot of, you know, Asian people, um, which I don't know how it, how it's affected me, um. But it's something that i've definitely noticed and you know i've talked to friends about you know why why that is like where where do all the the people where do where do we all go after we do our, <laughs> yeah our stint in the kind of lower ranks um but yeah it's something that i think you know is definitely changing um and i think you'll the trend will only increase with time um i think there are Always articles coming out about about this, and you know I, oh i you know I think I read a recently a, a new york op ed on you know affirmative action and how you know Asians and uh you know have a higher bar in terms of getting into certain colleges and things like that but oh, yeah. I think that just means that we're you know i say we but you know Asians just culturally i think value education a lot uh and so I think if we keep doing that and we keep trying to climb up the ranks, I think eventually you'll see more of this, more of the diversity at the higher ranks. Yeah, yeah, totally fair. And that's something I experienced as well as a Asian male in the marketing world. It wasn't
0: until you know, moving back to Silicon Valley, for the first time, I felt like a minority to a certain extent. I think you know, all along the way in the different cities that I've lived, I've always been surrounded by, you know, let's different people of color a lot of different asian uh, ethnicities but it's very often these large large corporations it's like oh wow you know anytime you're in a big conference room people would ask hey are you the engineer or hey are you um the data analyst and it's like no no i'm in marketing
1: yeah and
0: even within the larger like marketing group it's like oh whoa like one it's marketing tends to be much more heavily uh, uh female uh represented than you know uh, i would say you know stem fields so that's a Right. It's a, it's a really interesting perspective. It's not that oh wow you know I am oppressed or that there are uh, you know, what do you call the microaggressions, but it's more of oh you, you it's not necessarily holding my career back, but there are little things that you notice. And I think it's about recognizing like the the facts, but without extrapolating that oh it's that's the reason why I didn't get the promotion or that's the reason why this thing happened. I think those are two very different things, and I think it's important to be careful about over over analyzing or saying that oh these issues are all caused because there's not enough Asian people at leadership. I think that's a, it's two very different chains of thought. And I think, I, I think that's something for us to think about too, is where do, where do people in like in our fields that are at good companies, where do we go next? It's usually to somewhere smaller. We choose to, find, uh, it's almost like it's it's not so much because of the oppression or because of these like being underrepresented that you leave it's more of oh something else catches your eye so yeah i don't i wouldn't say that there's distinct you know oppression at a macro level so lots of yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah, i i I agree completely with that you can't you just can't get we can't get to the point where we're blaming Mm -hmm. that as the factor of you know why something's not happening i think it's something you just recognize but we just continue down our path yeah um, yes, just keep, keep forging ahead
0: yeah certainly so and i think the idea of you know how do you increase leadership skills i think it's twofold of that representation and the idea of you know why are asian folks not at higher levels of leadership and to be fair sometimes it is we don't like to get involved with politics Or i personally am not as inclined to deal with you know you can call politics you can call it you know corporate friction you know when de- dealing with disagreements. Instead, I think a lot of folks choose to solve different problems. Either we do career pivots or you choose to move to a smaller company where, hey, you, in order to make the product work, you have to get along with one another. So I think it's it's not so much a, it can be a systematic thing, but I think it's also a matter of like at the margin, people choose to fight different things. So I think that's definitely a topic that we'll love to cover more in future episodes of this podcast with different guests that may have, have very different experiences that we have. I think we've managed to stay above it and uh, it's not so much as, oh, a matter of luck, but I think we've managed to approach it and manage it in the right way.
1: Yeah. I mean, hopefully you can get, uh, you can get Simon Liu on your podcast one day. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. That'd be super cool. And I think sometimes that's what it takes is having, you know, more influential people be able to draw to kind of like share a stance and have more and more people. Yeah i, mean,
1: I know i know he's talked about this this topic before so yeah, yeah i think that was part of the reason why he it was such a big deal when or there was a lot of coverage of him um, getting that role in mm-hmm. hollywood and um yeah i don't know we'll yeah, see how yeah. it goes awesome but another topic
0: that i would love for you to kind of dive deeper into is your ramen entrepreneur, ramen entrepreneurship story? I think this is one of the coolest, you know, chapters of your life that I was, you know, a spectator for, being alongside for the journey, and just being amazed at how a simple idea turned into an incredible venture. But do you want to share with our our listeners the full story from your perspective?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, as you said, this is this is one of the things that uh, looking back. I can't believe happened, but I'm so glad that it happened. Um, so basically, you know, it all starts with uh, a certain ramen restaurant, which I won't name, <laughs> uh, in LA, when um, it was my absolute favorite place to go. Um, it, it was just the best thing I've ever had, and uh, so one my my really good friend um, who's, who's a, who lives in New York, his name is Mir. Um, when he visited me uh, in LA, um, I took him there, and so it's you know the place we went to basically at a ramen bar, and he was, the chef was 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 in front of us, and um, you know he was he was a really friendly person, you know making sure that we were having a good experience. All the food was good, and and so kind of jokingly, or at least to me, it was kind of jokingly, but but Mir uh, asked. Uh, his, the chef's name is Tomo um, you know kind of you know you, you should open up your own restaurant in New York because you know Mir knows the New York ramen scene and there was kind of nothing like it at the time uh, and so you know to our surprise Tomo was you know happy well, he, he said it was his dream to open a ramen restaurant um, he would love to talk more about it and he gave us his uh, email address so we were like, okay, uh, let's see where this goes. So we sent him an email, no response, sent him another email, no response, you know, and this went on for probably six months. And then six months later, he, he responded, uh, and said he would love to grab coffee. Um, and so, you know, Mir and I, I think Mir and I were, were itching to do something ourselves. Um, after being just, you know, demolished by the finance industry, uh, we just had an itch to do something entrepreneurial. So this just kind of happened, and we wanted to see how far we could take it. So um, we, we, we made this, this little book that you would typically make uh, in, you know, in either private equity or banking, where you take to a client and kind of have a book of why they should partner with you, oh. et cetera. So we, we actually did that. Um, we bound, it was a bound book. It had, you know, our biography of, of the New York ramen scene and like why he should partner with us. And obviously, you know, this is taking into account, we've we've only been in the working world for like three years. So, uh, we, we mustered up everything that we could. Um, and and we, and he took the meeting, we, we flipped through the book with him I, I think he was impressed with us. I'm not sure. But he was definitely intrigued um, at the opportunity. Um, but, you know, one of the one of the things that he was really unsure about was just, like, the immigration. He, he's a Japanese citizen, so he's like, how is this possible? Like, I'm sponsored by my current employer. Like, how, you know, how would this work? Uh, and so we were like, we'll figure that out. Don't worry about it. But if you're interested, let's keep talking. And so... That was, that was like four years ago, that that happened, which is just crazy. But um, that meeting happened four years ago. And then we would do kind of monthly checkups with him. um, And he became more and more responsive. Um, I met with him uh, by myself for, you know, for coffee, just to catch up and um, give him updates on what we're, we're learning in New York, you know, who the big Big ramen names are in New York. What spaces are open? Um, Mir started the the real estate search there, uh, and I tried to learn as much as I could about um, his operations in uh, in his current restaurant and just his experience. And slowly over time, he started to trust us more. Um, And so we have one of the craziest things that we did was, you know, we got to a point where he was really interested. In working with us um, and we were really you know we were really excited about the potential of of you know opening a restaurant in New York with him and so one of the things that was really hard to diligence was just his you know if he was gonna do this by himself in an open kitchen like would he be able to do it and we weren't sure about that so we we actually asked him to do a taste test for us where he would we we rented out an airbnb <laughs> oh. and um we told him that he has to bring all of his supplies that he would need to make this broth from scratch um and so we set a date Mir flew over um we he he brought all of his stuff all the ingredients uh and he just started cooking wow. in this random airbnb um i forget what area it was in la but He brought his wife and kid um he he just started cooking and that was the it took the entire day because the broth takes a really long time to cook but he was cooking a smaller portion of it um and and yeah the entire day we were i mean the like it it was cooking for so long that the fire alarm would go off and (laughs) Mir or i would have to go fan the fire alarm like that's the kind of day it was it was just absolutely crazy um and then uh, we actually ended up going to dinner with um, his wife and kid who, you know, met us for the first time. Or we're just kind of, I think, I think his wife was really taken aback by how, how young we looked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Tomo's, Tomo's in, you know, I think he's in his mid 30s now, um, going closer to 40. So, you know, he's, he was about a decade older than us. Right. And so it was just, it's just a, it was a funny scene but yeah so we we got through that we got comfortable with his ability uh in the kitchen um we initiated we found this this really niche lawyer in la who who only does uh e2 visas which is the employer visa um wow. for foreign nationals and we engaged him and that that is a whole story by itself of, of getting tomo his visa but so. um we started that process mir started seriously looking for a real estate um location in new york on and and we started a fundraising process i mean it was it, it was a crazy it was everything that we did was just we had never done before it was um, we we had no idea what we were doing but all we knew was that we were we were learning a lot it was It was honestly, it was pretty fun, um, but also very stressful. Um, It was the fundraising process, actually, just to talk about that for a second was was pretty revealing as well. Just, you know, the type we we basically tapped into our our networks um, to see if they wanted to invest in a restaurant and um, to our to our surprise, a lot of people were really interested in investing um, or partnering with us. Um and out of that process we found uh three people who ultimately ended up partnering with us um on on this thing and uh so that, that happened and then you know Mir spent more than a year going to property, new locations, talking to brokers. Every weekend or whatever nights he had free, he would go look at a space, and and that had that that went on for a year, and it got it got really close to the point where um, we were about to call it quits because, you know, it was just really hard to find the perfect location that had everything that we needed, like enough gas. It used to be a restaurant, so it had a lot of the infrastructure already built into it, like the the hood. Um, and, and th- you know, there are a lot of restaurants that open and close in New York, but it's it's hard to find kind of the perfect space that, you know, we were looking for 30 to 40 seat restaurant um, used to be that used to be a restaurant in the East Village. We were pretty focused on the East Village, yeah. given the, the amount of Japanese restaurants there. Um, and yeah, and the last location, the location that we're in now, it was the last. Of course, it's the last place, but. Uh, we were going to call it quits but um, we preempted the process or i should say Mir preempted the process and we we were able to get a look uh, into that space before it went on the market uh, and so uh, man, that the property you know management company and and met up with us and and they just they signed it over and and once that once that paperwork was signed everything was kind of you know everything is a go we had to you know from step one like figure out all the licenses find an architect uh, what kitchen equipment do we need Um, we have to start hiring people all that stuff just started all at once and it was a it was a sprint until we opened um, until we opened in December of last year so from December of last year you know so it took about three years before that, from the, the first conversation with Tomo, uh, until we finally opened the doors in December. So that's that's the story of our of our restaurant in New York. It's it's called Tave Tomo. It's in the East Village. Um, amazing, amazing dip in ramen man. restaurant. So yeah, it's like the complete opposite of you know when the
0: instant ramen story where you literally just buy a cup of noodle, pour some hot water, and you're done. <laughs> this is like you know a a labor of love, of passion. And to a certain extent, pain. You know, certain parts, I imagine it's, wow, you know, you'd rather be doing this or you have tons of work, but you still owe an update to your investors or you have to do some due diligence on you know, one part of the business or hire folks. And you know, this isn't hiring, you know, software engineers for your software as a service. It's, hey, I imagine you're hiring waitresses, waiters, hosts, you know, kitchen staff, you know, line staff. That's that's quite the, uh, the tough task.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it was it was all new to us we had we had no idea what we were doing, but you know it just goes to show like you just kind of put your head to it, you just do micro steps and you just figure it out, and none of it is complicated. You just have to go do it, which yeah. is not part yeah. I still remember uh, again the 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 restaurant that will not be named, we
0: did like the secret taste test. And I imagine uh, <laughs> that was uh, an output of labor. And when I imagine the, you know, you guys are out in the Airbnb doing a cooking thing. I, I'm just visualizing, you know, Breaking Bad. You know, you all are out in the middle of nowhere just cooking, you know, cooking pots, bats, and vats full of ramen broth. You know, it's time to cook. And then from there, you know, doing all the, the back end work that most people don't think about when they think about opening a restaurant. They think, oh, I have a good recipe. Here's a location. Done. I think that's absolutely incredible. And I imagine, you know, opening day or you know, opening week must have been incredibly stressful. But I imagine that moment where you flip that sign from closed or coming soon to now open must have been <laughs> incredible. What was that a ceremon- ceremonious thing or how was that moment like? Could you describe
1: it to our listeners? <laughs> so funny enough, uh, I wasn't. So I was in. Um, I was in Chicago. At school the week that it opened that we opened the doors um, but you know I my uh, so by then we had one two three other partners yeah. um, who you know were were helping out with random things um, and I had been to the location probably four or five times before that um, but, you know, unfortunately, I couldn't I couldn't be there when it when we opened the door. But I'm sure it was it was cathartic. Yeah. And I remember uh, over the last, what was it, December break? I remember we
0: were catching up uh, just on the phone and I was like, oh, it's kind of late on my end. And I realized that you are you, know, you finished like a day of work and you're working at a restaurant during your your break in between business school, right? I think this is your yeah, that's right. break, and was, you're like, I'm so tired, but I feel so good, right? Could you share more about like that, that that journey going through, you know, the banking route, going through B school, and then, hey, you know, you are now a restaurant owner, and you're someone that's created, you know, a piece of, you know, culinary history to a certain extent. Could you share about kind of the different epiphanies you've had and how they, how different they feel these accomplishments?
1: Mm yeah i so yeah that's like that's like i've never really thought about that but it's it was a it was a different sort of it was a different achievement victory for me in the way that i i guess the value and the happiness that i you know got from it um and so i think before that you know getting getting a job in finance at a bank at a private equity firm getting into business school um, those, those were all kind of similar in, in, you know, to how I felt when those things happened, you know, and this one was, this one was more personal. It was more, um, I, I think it was a little bit more elevated because it's, it, it felt, I mean, I, I, it was something that we, we had willed into existence and mm-hmm. I think, that was more. It was certainly more uh, satisfying than you know getting a good job from a boss at a at, at your job or or yeah. doing something well at your job. It was it was certainly that that feeling. I think is is what what drives a lot of entrepreneurs. That that satisfaction of of achieving something really really awesome that you had just worked really hard on. Um, mm-hmm. I think and and just to talk about that um so when I first th- that winter break of my first year in business school when I when I was able to go see it in actual actual operations um was really an you know there was a moment where I was you know kind of standing at the bar during during the rush hour and just kind of looking looking over the bar and the tables and people eating and laughing and drinking it was it was a really cool feeling um and it was i think i don't know it was it at that you know that moment even if we go out of business you know next month you know six months from now a year from now i will definitely say everything was worth it um to go through that um and you know when i when i worked trying to figure out Know, how to do all the different jobs in the in the restaurant um that week it was it was a lot of hard work but i it was a lot of fun too so yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a long way
0: since that that cherry factory, but at the same time too there's something different about Working with your hands and you know moving things and seeing people eat your food, and not that this is a good comparison, but I think in the same way, you know, there's this different satisfaction I get from launching a new product or a marketing campaign versus way back at my first job serving people fried chicken at KFC. It's just a little bit of people come hungry, they leave happy, and I think there's a certain very human element to it that you know can't be addressed in a typical nine to five you know corporate role.
1: right, yeah, that's wow. right.
0: Wow. And any uh, words of advice for aspiring restaurant owners or people that want to start up this? Is it, should you have a fully baked out business plan, investors, and, you know, menu, or should you do it one, you know, hey, have an idea, have a vision, and, you know, do whatever it takes. Anything you would have done differently or any advice for aspiring coffee shop owners, boba shop owners, or restaurant founders
1: in the future? Hmm. Uh, So from where I stand now, looking back, I think, um, I mean, First and foremost, and, you know, I think mean, everyone knows this, you have to have conviction in, in your product uh, and it's something that will stand the test of time. Like, people will eat it, whether it's cold or hot, etc. cetera. Um, and so you have to have a product that's good, no matter what. No matter what the dynamic is with management. So, like, our particular situation and why we, th- we thought we would be very successful was just we had... Uh, a marriage of an operator and, and some finance kids who knew who thought they knew how to do some accounting. And so yeah. um, we were our thesis was just we let this guy who we think is really good run the day to day and we'll try to manage, you know, the bills, the finances, keep track of things. Um, and hopefully that, you know, that marriage of skill sets will, will do really well in the, in the industry. And so, yeah. I, I you know, I, I don't think that's the only way to do it, or necessarily the the way everyone should do it. Um, But I think it it does have its benefits, especially in this industry is just absolutely brutal. And, um, you know, your food costs, your labor costs will always go up. So um, if you have slow weeks, slow months, like things can really start to get really stressful. So um, you have to have good product. I think the more knowledge you have on the business side, which is what I believe uh, a lot of restaurants struggle with is they, you know, it's usually an ex chef who, you know, has a really good skill set in the kitchen or knows how to how to create a really great menu, but not really good at negotiating rates on with vendors or, you know, taking the time to go to a lot of different vendors and making them compete for your business, um, making sure you're, you're, you're following all the key, key KPIs in your business, things like that. They just like Tomo would not be able to do that right now because he, (laughs) he works so much at the restaurant. So, um, I think that, you know if you're able to do it as a team i think that's what i would i would highly recommend people who want to get into the industry um and just really know your customer know do as much research as you possibly can before kind of jumping into it yeah yeah i imagine a lot of these lessons it's when most folks, I imagine listeners,
0: you know, work in tech or work, you know, corporate roles, I think most people when they think about entrepreneurship usually means, oh, I have to know how to code. It means I need to be one of those, you know, high-tech founders where I need to quit my job and stay in a garage or, you know, live in like an incubator of sorts, you know, drawing up some uh, imageries of Silicon Valley, the show, right? But very much just this extent too, it's, hey, different folks in the restaurant is, it's different skill sets in a company, right? You can't right. expect your accountant or finance person to know how to drive your paid marketing campaigns or to do your new business pitches in the same way that Tomo wouldn't expect you to be able to make, you know, the the most delicious Men when, you know, he can't, you know, put together a dashboard on, you know, all sorts of different you know, financial expenditure ratios, right? I think it's right. being okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing your... your yeah, narrative about starting this restaurant and the journeys you've had there and, and uh, in the show notes i'll make sure to you know have the yelp page and you know, encourage folks that are based out of the east coast uh, especially in new york
1: to try out the restaurant very very sure. cool thanks awesome. derek i appreciate of yeah, course of course um, of course. um honestly it's it's weird it's like kind of cathartic for me to kind of relive everything and tell the story because i haven't really you know, sat down and told that story, and you know, from beginning to end, uh, in that detail. So it was a it was a great opportunity for me as well. Yeah,
0: and I imagine it's you know, just because you open a restaurant doesn't mean it's it's you're done, right? Wash your hands, you know. Uh, it's more of that's the first step along, basically oh, yeah. it's entirely your other job, right? On
1: top. The of door opens. The that's when the real work begins. So yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, as so we kind of approach our last phase of our podcast, you know, more of a recap, and I always want to make sure we have an opportunity to, for you to, you know, share advice or to, you know, share some more perspectives broadly. But I think it's before we jump into that, it's, you know, what's, what's next for you? What is your current goals? What are your current challenges? What are, you know, things that not literally keep you up at night, but what, what are the things that take up a lot of cognitive load for you?
1: Yeah, um, you know, for the first time in my life, I... I don't have kind of the next step in mind where, you know, when you're in, you're in high school, it's like, okay, what college am I going to go to? Okay, college, what job am I going to get? In banking, for me, it was, you know, how am I going to get into the buy side, and then business school, etc. And for the first time, uh, it's really just now it's, you know, trying to be the best version of myself. Um, So, you know, living a healthy and balanced life, um, you know, focusing on my job in a way where, you know, I see myself being for the long term, you know, not not just thinking of myself as, oh, I'm two years and out. It's I want to build a career here. I want to become the best investor I can possibly become. Um, and so it's 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 more, of, it's just like a really long term mindset that I have now about things. And, you um, obviously i want to not only better myself but also get get uh, involved in the community here um whether that's through a nonprofit or you know i think oh yeah you did minds matter before right that's, oh, that's oh, I,
0: another one of your influences on my life that was a uh, a good exploration but is that something you're going to think about doing again in dc yeah
1: yeah i think i think i want i started looking into it um, i had a really good experience with with that in la so i think it's an awesome organization that really it, it actually makes an impact on someone's life. So I was thinking about doing that. Um and just yeah, I think my new new kind of mantra is just balance in my life. That's kind of what I what I want to achieve. So yeah.
0: balance in all things. To a certain extent it's funny where, you know, I usually regard investment banking as one of the most extreme type of jobs where it's, you know, on the good side, it's extremely high compensation, extremely, you know, positive esteem for that role. But at the same time, it is extremely debilitating on your life, and it is a very intensive role and lifestyle. So I'm glad that you're developing this longer-term, what's the sort of like sustainable living, balance in all things approach. I think that's really awesome. As a friend who's watched you grow over the last few years, I think that's a really awesome direction for yourself.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And I think another, you know, one of the last uh, questions that we'll share with our guests is, do you have any advice that you would give our audience members or advice to your younger self? If you were, you know, 20 on the verge of turning 21, you know, the best year of your life, uh, what sort of advice would you give? I imagine you'd be back in Michigan, you know, thinking about your career, trying to think about what is the, the what is life that's figured out? What
1: does that look like?
0: Any advice that you would give? Mm.
1: I guess, uh, that's, that's tough, uh, you know, looking, looking back at my younger self, I would certainly say, you know, don't, don't be as, guess don't be as fearful as you were. Um, I, it, it's, it's a tough thing to say, you know, be more confident, right? I think wow. confidence is something that, that comes with, uh, you know, achievements and wins in your life. And so every I, I think it's tough to say be be more confident in your life, but there to a certain extent you have to fake it till you make it. Um and so work on yourself, work, work on being the best version of yourself. And I think the confidence will come eventually. Um and also this the second part is just uh, I think for me, and, and I, one of the questions that I've always talked about with friends growing up was just, you know, what is the point of life? And for me, that a lot of the answer to that question is it's just around the people you have in your life. So um, life is, you know, going 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 through life with the people that you care about, the people that you want. Uh, you want to experience the highs and lows with. I think those are the people you want to keep around. So, go out of go out of your way to uh, keep in touch with those people. Um, you know, ask them how they're doing. Share your experiences because I think you kind of, you always underestimate how much other people want to hear about what's going on in your life too. So yeah, yeah. Imagine you know for yourself someone that is now you know experienced higher
0: that is now some someone that's finished business school. I'm sure there'll be a lot of, you know, aspiring financiers and restaurateurs who will be, you know, eager to learn from you and hear about your experiences. And to a certain extent you've become that Justin Wu figure, that person that helped you during your city final rounds, right? That, hey, you know, you kind of went out of his way just to give you a call or to help out in a certain way. And I I really feel that some of the things the stories you've shared and the insights today uh, will be really helpful for folks from all sorts of different backgrounds. So as we wrap up today, just want to thank you for being you know the number one guinea pig and just a really great friend uh, and a great guest for the
1: first episode of the Paper Lantern. So any oh,
0: I... any closing comments for you, Mr. Brian?
1: Uh, no, I think I think that's it for me. Thanks Beautiful. for having me on, though, man. Yeah. I appreciate it.
0: I had a great time chatting with my friend Brian, and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you're interested in learning more about his restaurant, Tabetomo, or about Brian's career, I'll be sure to include his LinkedIn profile and a link to their Yelp page in the show notes. We're just getting started with the podcast and could use your input to help us get better. If you have a friend or a colleague who you think might enjoy this episode, please share the podcast with them or tell them to visit our website, thepaperlantern.blog. If you have any feedback for us or our suggestions on who you'd like to see as a guest on the podcast for future episodes, please do send us a quick note on thepaperlantern.blog website. There's a contact page where you can get in touch. Thanks again for taking your time to listen to this week's episode, and I hope you have a wonderful week.
1: Cheers!